0: of waiting for something. Now, of course you have. We've all experienced that. We've all had to wait for certain things. And I find it interesting that in waiting for for different particular things, we have different feelings inside us, don't we? Uh, Children, maybe if you're waiting to go on a trip or waiting for your birthday or something like that, you, you have great anticipation. You have excitement inside you. You can't wait for this thing to happen. It's what you tell yourself, I can't wait, I'm too excited. And on the other hand, perhaps many of you have experienced a different kind of waiting, That kind of waiting when perhaps there's bad news on the horizon, when you're waiting for a diagnosis for yourself or for some loved one. That kind of waiting stirs up a completely different feeling inside you, doesn't it? You're not waiting with anticipation or excitement. You have concern. There's trepidation. You are waiting for the news. You really want to hear the news, but at the same time, you're worried about what the news might be. And so maybe, maybe that waiting is a bad waiting, as it were. Well, here in our text this evening... We see Paul's reaction to some of the waiting which he had experienced. Now you perhaps remember from from uh, Mr. Colvin's last sermon when he covered verses seventeen through twenty uh, that paul had had very much desired to return to the Thessalonian church to visit them. That's his entire point there and In those verses, he was taken away from them and he was eager with with great desire to see them. He had been separated from them far too quickly. In the greater, broader context of this, Paul's responses to uh, certain accusations that were being made against him, he wants the Thessalonians to know once again that... Accusations being made against him and and Silas and Timothy are are completely false. You remember that in chapter 2 he addressed accusations. He had only come to the Thessalonians and proclaimed the gospel to get something for himself. A riches, fame, or whatnot. But there was another accusation which Paul confronts here in this whole section. and, And that was the accusation that people were making to the Thessalonians that Paul didn't really care about them at all. He'd abandoned them and he was never coming back. Now, Paul wants the Thessalonians to know that's, that's not true at all. He's been waiting. He's been waiting and waiting. And that's caused a great deal of turmoil within him. Paul greatly desired to see the Thessalonians. And so we see then in, in these five verses, his great concern, a shepherd's concern, for his flock. We see his desire to return to them and his concern for what might have happened. Waiting for news, what might have happened to the Thessalonians in his absence. And, and seeing this, this concern that a shepherd had for his sheep, I think we can, we can take that, we can extrapolate from that, that part of the Christian life is having a concern for the brethren which leads to actions to promote the strengthening of each other's faith. That's part of, part of your faith. Your Christian walk should be having a kind of concern for your brothers and sisters which leads to action uh, which promotes uh, and strengthens or promotes the strengthening of their faith. And so, with that in mind, I'd, I'd like us to look at this text under three headings. First, in verses 1 through 3, we see this, this concern for others' faith. A concern which Paul had particularly, but which we can see ought to show us uh, that we ought to be concerned for other, others, uh, for their faith. And then in verse 4, we see Paul's concern that these Thessalonian Christians should be prepared. And so we can take from that that we ought to have concern for the brethren's preparation. And then in verse 5, a concern for the brethren's perseverance in the faith. This is Paul's great concern, the kind of apex of this concern there in verse 5. And so then we'll look at it under those three headings. A concern for others' faith, and a concern for others' preparation, a concern for others' perseverance. Those three points are what we will see here in this text, which show us... Uh, that having concern for the brethren is part of the Christian faith. Well, then look with me then to verse one. Paul writes, "Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone." Now, as therefore, he's of course drawing our attention back to what he would previously written especially in verse 17, that he had this great desire. He was eager to return to the Thessalonians. But what had happened to him? Well, in verse 18, we read Satan had hindered them. He'd been prevented from going and seeing the Thessalonians. And that hindrance caused Paul a bit of turmoil inside. He writes to them when he could endure it no longer. When he could endure it no longer, they thought it best, to be left behind. The language here is, is pictorial. He uses a great deal of pictorial language actually through this entire section, but it's the idea of, uh, of a, a container that had been made watertight with pitch or tar or, or whatever. And, and this container is able to keep either things out of it or keep things in it. And Paul says his container... It's no longer to keep things contained. His concern is spilling out. It's become so excessive, he, he can't bottle it up anymore. Children, it's like when you're so excited that you jump up and down. Except in this case, Paul isn't excited. He's, he's concerned. He can't contain this desire to see them. He can't contain his concern for the Thessalonians any longer. And what does this lead to? Well, this leads to sacrifice. You see, when we have concern for others, uh, one another's faith, this concern very often leads to sacrifice on our part. And indeed, it should. We ought to, uh, in some way, shape, or form, as far as our ability goes, we should sacrifice for one another. So he tells the Thessalonians, when he could not contain this desire For their well-being any longer, he thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. Literally, he said, it it seemed good to me to be left behind alone. You see, that's kind of remarkable language there, isn't it? Paul so greatly desired the, the strengthening of the Thessalonians' faith, so was so greatly concerned for them that in contrast... It was good for him to be left behind. He he said, this seems pleasant to me. It was more pleasant for him to be left behind alone, not being able to see the Thessalonians, than to never get any news about them. It was better for him to be left behind by himself. And now there's debate about whether he was left behind by himself or with Silas, but uh, that doesn't really matter. As we know from uh, from Acts, Silas was later sent on uh, as well so Paul well and truly was alone. But you see here in verse 1 that Paul's concern led to sacrifice. His concern for the Thessalonians' faith led to his sacrifice. Sacrificing his desire to go see them. Sacrificing uh, Silas and, and Timothy being with him. Sacrificing this companionship which he had. Sacrificing even uh, the fact that having multiple of them going from city to city proclaiming the gospel was easier than Paul going off by himself alone. He sacrificed these things out of concern for the Thessalonians' well-being. So his concern for their faith led to sacrifice. His concern for their faith led to something else. It led to provision for the Thessalonian church. If you look at at verse 2, He thought it was best to be left behind at Athens alone, and so they sent Timothy. Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. See, Paul's concern for the Thessalonians led to his provision for them. You notice that he did not just send anyone to the Thessalonian church. Here we see Timothy, this. This young man who would later be uh, an elder, he'd be an officer in the church. He's the one accompanying Paul at this point in time. He's a minister of the gospel. Paul sends this man to the Thessalonian church, a man who was prepared and equipped. A young man, surely, but, but one who well and truly could help the Thessalonians. It was not just uh, some random uh, believer That Paul said, okay, you, uh, I I want you to go down to Thessalonica and talk to these people and bring me news. No, he sent to them one who could help them, one who could strengthen them in their faith, one who could comfort them. It was was Timothy. We know that Timothy is well-equipped and prepared to do this because of what Paul calls him. He calls Timothy our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. Now, in a kind of general sense, our brother could be referring to uh, just the fact that Timothy is a fellow believer. But Paul here, I think, is using this in in a more technical sense. Paul here is talking about uh, Timothy's close relationship with Paul and with Silas. Uh, He's here calling Timothy our brother not to just say, well, he's, he's just a fellow Christian, but to, but to draw the Thessalonians' attention to this, this fellow that Paul had sent them, whom they had received, right, because this happened after Paul sent Timothy. This fellow that they had received was, was someone uh, near and dear to Paul, someone whom Paul trusted, someone whom Paul had, had worked with and had seen the fruit of his labor, someone uh, who the Thessalonians would really actually profit from having come to them, uh, he calls Timothy his brother, and he also calls Timothy God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. Now, if you're reading from a different translation, there's there's actually a, a couple different um, manuscript differences. Some will say that Timothy is was a, um, God's minister in the gospel of Christ. Some call uh, say that Paul uh, Timothy was God's uh, minister and Paul's fellow worker and the gospel of Christ. You could get into a lot of details concerning manuscript differences, but they all actually say basically the same thing about Timothy. They say that he is a servant of God. They say that he is one who has been with Paul proclaiming the gospel, teaching the saints, equipping them in the cities that Paul goes to. You see, Timothy, if he's called God's fellow worker here, Paul is not saying that Timothy and God are equal partners in the gospel endeavor, but in saying that he is God's fellow worker, Paul is saying essentially the same thing that he says when he says that Paul and Apollos are God's fellow workers. Paul spreads seed, Apollos waters. God waters and gives the increase. Who is the one who's actually doing all the work? Well, it's God, but... By calling himself God's fellow worker, by calling Timothy God's fellow worker, Paul is saying that Timothy has been used by God instrumentally. God has actually used Timothy. There has been fruit from Timothy's ministry. And so he will be good for the Thessalonian church. He's a brother, a fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. Timothy is one who preaches, teaches, and is well-equipped one who is actually a good provision for the Thessalonian church. So Paul's concern for the Thessalonians' faith and leads to his sacrifice, it leads to him uh, providing Timothy to them, sending Timothy to them, provision. And Paul's concern also leads to uh, the encouragement, uh, the comfort of the Thessalonian church. Paul wants them to be encouraged, and comforted. We see that in the end of verse 2 and the the totality of verse 3. Paul sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage the Thessalonians. To strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Paul sent Timothy with the express purpose of strengthening the Thessalonian church. He says that Timothy is sent to strengthen and encourage them. Timothy is, is meant to, uh, to solidify the Thessalonian church. This, this word is, is kind of given to, it gives the idea of something that's kind of been teetering around, but then uh, all of a sudden it's, it's pressed down, it's made stable. Timothy is meant to uh, stabilize the Thessalonian church, to, to strengthen them. It's as though the Thessalonians, because of the great affliction which they've been suffering and, and all of these doubts being uh, raised up, uh, Paul came to preach the gospel because he won a personal or Paul doesn't really care about you. He abandoned you. Look at that. And at this point, the, Paul is afraid that the Thessalonians are, are wavering. They're teetering back and forth uh, like a rock that's been set upon a precipice and kind of wobbles, and Paul's afraid that maybe it'll fall. So he, he sent Timothy to strengthen them, to, to solidify that, to make it stable. And to do that by encouraging them as to their faith, to remind them of what Paul had previously preached to them, to remind them of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul hasn't sent Timothy down there to teach the doctrines of men or any such thing. He sent them down there to remind them who they are in Christ, where they stand in relationship to God, to proclaim to them the great glories of God in Christ, to stabilize them, to encourage them as to their faith. And why? So that they would not be disturbed by the afflictions which they suffered. As I said before, Paul uses a great deal of pictorial language here. This word that we have translated disturbed was an ancient Greek term which talked about the wagging of a dog's tail. And it was kind of brought into more common parlance. And Basically, the idea here is Paul says he doesn't want the Thessalonians to be all shaken up, all disturbed. You know that when bad things happen to us, It shakes you. It takes a minute for you to to kind of get your bearings, to remind yourself, okay, like here's what I need to do. or Here's the next steps that I should take. We we quickly get disturbed, shaken, especially in afflictions. And Paul is concerned that that has happened to the Thessalonians because they have been suffering afflictions. They've been suffering persecution from their uh, countrymen even as the Jewish believers had suffered at the hands of of their countrymen, Paul is concerned that they have been shaken up, disturbed, that they're teetering on the edge of a precipice, as it were. So this great concern for their faith, this great concern that the Thessalonians are in a dire situation, in a dire place, not so much as to their their physical well-being, but their spiritual well-being. is that's Paul's great concern. And so this led him to sacrifice and led him to send Timothy to provide for them, led him to send Timothy for the express purpose of stabilizing them, strengthening them, encouraging them in their faith. This is the great concern of this shepherd, Paul, a concern for the believer's faith. Sacrificial, provisional, encouraging, strengthening, faith. We may take lessons from this then. We we ought to live our lives in such a way that we are concerned for one another's faith and we really truly do help each other in the faith. You see, we're not islands all by ourselves. The Lord hasn't saved us merely as individuals scattered all around and we go about this, this life on our own. But He has saved us as, as a people, as a church, a gathering, an assembly, a group of people. And so what affects one of us really in many ways does affect the rest of us. And so we should as part of our Christian life, be concerned for one another's faith. We, we ought to, when we see one another downcast, when we see one another in things which may struggle, we may approach them. Asking how we might pray for them, how we might encourage them. We ought to do this. When, though, when others come to us with prayer requests, so often we say, "Oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. Well, do you? Do you pray for each other? When someone asks for prayer, it's one of those things, it's very easy to say, yes, I'll pray for you. It's very, it's very easy to forget to actually pray for them. We, we say one thing and then we so quickly forget to do it. Pray for one another. Sacrifice for one another. So we don't have to give up Everything that we have, but we many times uh, sacrifice our time and energy in, in small ways, and we find it to be a great joy to do so. And we ought to do that. That's part of the Christian faith. When when a member of the congregation is sick or suffering, what what happens? We put together meal trains, things like that, and we we sacrifice. that costs money and time to make a meal for someone else, yet. That's a good thing to do. And so then I would encourage you all, uh, dear saints, uh, to practice these things, to to think about ways in which you can uh, encourage one another in the faith through any of these various aspects, sacrifice, provision, uh, concern, comfort, encouragement, strengthening each other. We ought to think about those things. We ought to practice them. That is part of the Christian faith. It's a good thing to do. It is a necessary thing to do as part of the body of Christ. Well, Paul's concern for the Thessalonians was preceded. When he was in Thessalonica teaching them, he had tried to prepare them for what would occur. He knew that they were suffering afflictions, but he had already taught them about that. He, he had taken an opportunity to prepare them. And so we, we see this concern for Paul was, was a concern for their preparation. Had they actually been as prepared as Paul had tried to make them? Verse 4, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. Paul had sought to prepare the Thessalonians for affliction. He had taught them that it would happen, as indeed it was happening. They knew that it was going to happen. Paul had sought preparation. His concern for them, even as he was in Thessalonica ministering to them, his concern for them led to his seeking their preparation. We see then first in this this desire to prepare them. We see that Paul took opportunities to prepare them. He says, When we were with you, we kept telling you in advance. You see, Paul took advantage of the time which he had with the Thessalonian church to warn them of those uh, sufferings which they might endure, the afflictions which might come against them. He told them that All who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer affliction. He he taught them that the Lord Jesus said that uh, if you would follow me, take up your cross and follow me. He taught them that uh, those who follow after Christ will suffer affliction. He took that opportunity that he had at that point in time while he was with them to warn them, to prepare them. You see, we, as part of our our concern for others, ought to be concerned for their preparation and we ought to take opportunities to prepare one another. We ought to teach and exhort and prepare. And then in that that line of thought, Paul took the opportunities and he also uh, took the opportunity to teach them. He told them in advance that they were going to suffer affliction as it so came to pass. He didn't tell them, well, here's a million different possibilities, but don't worry, everything will work out, it's okay. No, he told them the truth. He told them here is the Christian life. Sure, he related to them many of his own personal experiences. Sure, he related to them what had gone on with the saints in Jerusalem. It's a very good possibility that he told them, you know how I know that you'll suffer persecution? Well, guess what? I was was one of those who was persecuting the church. Paul taught them. He didn't say, well, we can speculate no, he told them what he knew for certain. Warning them, teaching them of the affliction which they might suffer. He kept telling them, kept telling them in advance that they were going to suffer affliction. Well, we here in the United States have not really suffered any kind of affliction because of our faith. Lord willing, we will continue to live in a land where we won't suffer a great deal of affliction. And yet, if, if the Lord wills it, we could suffer great affliction. But even suffering small affliction here in this country is something which we might expect. Why? Because everyone who desires to live a godly life can expect Persecution for it in some way, shape, or form. When you go door to door during outreaches, there's a very good possibility that someone will get angry with you and say something to you and slam the door in your face. It happens. It can happen. That's, we ought to be prepared for that. We don't need to say to ourselves, I. I don't want to do this anymore, this is too hard. That's, that's a small thing. You could be out in the middle of downtown Greenville and sharing the gospel with someone. Somebody spits in your face. Well, we should expect things like that. The natural man hates the truth of God. He suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. They fight against the truth with all that they have. We ought to be prepared for it. And if the Lord so wills, we ought to be prepared and we ought to take opportunities to prepare others for even worse affliction. We ought to take the opportunities which we have at this point in time to teach our children the scriptures. To teach them the the great truths of the faith. To give them instruction uh, day in and day out. Memorization of the shorter catechism or the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Those those things we ought to teach to the young and to the young uh, both uh, in age and the young in the faith so that they will be prepared, equipped with knowledge which they need to follow after Christ prepared even that uh, if persecution does arise against the church if we have God's word stored up in our hearts doesn't much matter if they take away our physical copies of the scripture we if we have God's word memorized then we still have God's word with us and we pray that those things do not happen and yet wisdom is being prepared for whatever might happen whether small or large, we ought to be prepared. We ought to take opportunities, which we have now to prepare, and we ought to teach others what they need to know to be prepared. That is part of our concern for the brethren. It's preparing them, preparing them for those things which they need to know to live a godly life. The last thing we see in this text here this evening, we see Paul's concern for their faith. We see Paul's concern to prepare them for what they will go through. We also see Paul's great concern for the Thessalonians' perseverance. Here in verse 5, this this is kind of the, the apex of Paul's concern here. It's where it really comes out. He writes, for this reason, When I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You see, Paul now repeats this phrasing that he had already said in in verse 1, yet there's a distinct difference. See, in verse 1 he said, when we could endure it no longer, we sent. Now it becomes very personal, doesn't it? When Paul himself could not endure it. He sent to find out about the Thessalonians' faith. You see, Paul's Paul's great concern exhibits itself, uh, even greater concern than what we saw in verse 1 here in verse 5. Paul has to know about the state of the Thessalonians' faith. He's concerned Two things, both pertaining to the Thessalonians' perseverance. He's he's concerned that the tempter might have tempted them, and the result of that would be that his labor would be in vain. So he has a a concern that temptation might be hindering the perseverance of the Thessalonians, and he is concerned that even worse, temptation might have resulted in apostasy for the Thessalonians. He sent to find out about their faith, fearing that the tempter might have tempted them. The tempter is, of course, the great enemy of God's people. The same one who had hindered Paul's travels to Thessalonica, as we read up in verse 18 Satan hindered us. Paul now is concerned, it seems, that, that part of this hindrance. Which he and Silas and Timothy suffered, this inability to travel as a group down to Thessalonica. He seems to have concern that perhaps, excuse me, this is all part of Satan's scheming to tempt the Thessalonian church. Paul here is greatly troubled and must know what is going on in Thessalonica. There's a possibility that the seed that Paul had sown in Thessalonica had fallen on a path, or in rocky soil, or among the thorns. He most desperately wants to know whether or not these seeds have taken root and are growing. And so he sends Timothy to find out fear that Satan might have tempted them, might have tempted them during the persecution, that perhaps Satan had, had tempted them to think that uh, this faith which they had was, was no true faith because, after all, if I trust in Christ, why are bad things happening to me? Right? Isn't that a thought that we very often have? Satan could use such thoughts to, to tempt us as regarding our faith, or he could use persecutions to tempt us to abandon the faith. Well, if these bad things are happening to me, if I just deny Christ and walk away, bad things will stop happening to me. There's very many paths that the tempter can take to tempt people. And he does. We ought to be wise to that. See, the devil really does go about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He really does hate the church. He really would destroy the church if he could. He really is a great enemy. Uh, Far more clever than any of us are. Far more powerful than any of us are. He really is a true enemy. But praise be to God that this enemy is a strong man who is bound to no longer deceive the nations, that King Jesus rules and reigns over all things, and that the devil is God's devil, able to do only what God permits. Yet if God does permit him, that Satan can come and tempt the people of God. That is one of Paul's great concerns. Paul's concern is that this temptation might have led to the Thessalonians' apostasy and thus that Paul's labor would be in vain. Now, reading this on a surface level, you might think, well, that seems kind of a selfish thought for Paul to have. Oh, no, my labor might have been in vain. Paul's thought here is not necessarily just that The things which he had done, the gospel which he had preached, all the work which he had done in Thessalonica might have been for nothing. His concern is, is chiefly, primarily, that the Thessalonians would be rooted and grounded in their faith. That they would still be following after Christ. And yet, there is a good concern that we might have that our work not be in vain we ought to greatly desire that the lord would would bless our labors our efforts and that he would use them we ought to pray fervently to that end that those conversations which you have with your your uh, colleagues at work, with your neighbors, with people that you run into at the store, those those conversations that you have in which you can in some way, shape, or form uh, tell them about Christ, we ought to desire earnestly that that labor would not be in vain, that the Lord would take it and use it, that, that that small seed sown would indeed be watered and the Lord would give great increase. We ought to desire that. More than that, we ought to desire that those who have professed faith that we have seen the fruits of repentance and faith in, who are growing, we ought to desire to see them grow even more. What a great and glorious thing it would be to see all of the children here at Antioch Presbyterian Church grow up to be strong in the faith, for the young men to be officers in Christ church, for the young ladies to, to be godly wives and mothers raising up another generation of saints. We ought to greatly desire things like that. We ought to pray that the Lord would use whatever work we are able to do toward that end, toward the end of His glory. We ought to pray that the Lord would cause those who have made profession of faith to grow in their faith, to persevere in that faith. That is Paul's concern here in, in verse 5 that the Thessalonians would be persevering in their faith. His concern, his worry, is that they are not, which demonstrates that his great desire is that they would. You see, Paul, is, as a shepherd in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, loves the flock, greatly desires for them to grow in their faith, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ even as we all ought to. Paul's concern is demonstrated here in this text. It led to action. Just as we ought to have concern for one another, which should lead us to action, that which promotes the, the strengthening of each other's faith, their, their growth in faith, their encouragement, their perseverance, uh, through preparation, all of these aspects which we see in these five short verses, well, those are all things which we ought to uh, take to heart, take to mind as we seek to live godly lives, as we seek to uh, be Faithful, obedient, and God-glorifying Christians. It's part of the Christian life is having concern for the brethren, which leads to actions which promote the strengthening of their faith. Just as Paul, here in First Thessalonians 3, 1-5, had a great concern which led to his work in the strengthening of the Thessalonians' faith. May God bless us as we seek to live this kind of life to His honor and glory. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we thank You the great salvation which You have bestowed upon us. We thank You that You have brought us into a family we are not independent and isolated bits and pieces floating around, but that we are part of the body of Christ, each with different gifts and abilities, each with different functions, yet working together as a whole for your honor and your glory. We pray that we would take this seriously. Uh, we would seek the strengthening of our own faith, certainly, but that we would also seek the strengthening of each other's faith. That we would work towards this end. That we would be strengthened together, bound closely in the things which we do. That when one suffers, we would all suffer. When one rejoices, we would all rejoice. That we would be close to one another, we would work for the preparation of each other, we would would encourage each other, uh, that we would pray and and seek for the, the perseverance of each other, we ask that you would do this, we dedicate our lives to you as your servants, those who have been made not only servants but also sons in in dedicating ourselves to you we dedicate all that we have to you we pray that in our thanksgiving to you as we give uh, these tithes and offerings this evening you would be pleased to use them for your glory that you would be pleased to use them for the strengthening and building up of your church and the work which it undertakes here in this world until Christ returns we ask in his name amen